Okay. So, we're going to do three weeks on the Holy Spirit. Yeah, yeah, so, and so you should whoop, because it's going to be, it's going to be good. Um, and I feel like, you know, it's, it's God's heart for me to speak on this subject. I think the Holy Spirit in some churches, in their statement of beliefs, um, they actually believe that the Holy Spirit no longer does the things these days that he used to do in the Bible. I actually would say that. Miracles don't happen anymore. The supernatural gifts, things like prophecy and speaking in tongues, those things are, they're finished. Um, that's what we, they're what we call cessationist churches because they say that the gifts of the Spirit have ceased. Other churches are not cessationist. They say, no, we believe that the Holy Spirit still gives supernatural gifts, still does miracles in the church today. Um, but there you, then you see, you, have, you hit this issue of, okay, so we believe it. We believe this doctrine. We believe the Holy Spirit does certain things, but do we see him do them? And do we experience them for ourselves? That's a whole different thing, isn't it? That's a whole different thing. And my fear is, is that the charismatic church, which is the name we give for the church, who believes in the gifts of the Spirit, who believes in the miraculous, who believes in prophecy, my fear is, is that the charismatic church is becoming increasingly uncharismatic. It's becoming increasingly cerebral, in the sense that um, we just want to understand certain things, and get our theology right, and then we're happy. That's enough. And I want to say that is not enough. It just does not stand up biblically by a long way. And I want to demonstrate it biblically, because I know that you guys, you want to be, some of you, you know, you might be totally comfortable with this. Others of you, maybe, I'm not sure. I'm not sure where I stand on this. And I want to show you biblically that the early church was birthed in supernatural power and grew in supernatural power. And there's absolutely nothing in the scripture that would lead us to believe that the church could move forward meaningfully at all without supernatural power. In fact, I remember reading a commentary once that made me giggle. The commentary on the, on the book of Acts said this, well, in these times, um, the Lord was pleased, I'm, I'm paraphrasing, the Lord was pleased to um, uh, build the church and extend the kingdom of God through mir- miracles and supernatural activity, whereas nowadays, he just does it through normal means. And I just thought to myself, okay, so what are the normal means? Because if, if the Bible is your textbook, surely the Bible tells you what the normal means are. Well, what's the normal means? Well, uh, we're going to look. <laughs> and you cannot get away from encounter with God. You cannot get away from supernatural experience. You cannot get away from the miraculous. Whichever way you turn, you are cornered by it. God is not shy about it. God is not retiring. He's not apologetic about it. God is a God of miracles. And he remains the same. The danger is, is that we create a theology out of our experience. We say, I haven't experienced that. I've never experienced prophecy. I've never experienced healing. I've never experienced speaking in tongues. I've never experienced supernatural activity. And so therefore it probably doesn't happen anymore. It probably doesn't happen in your life anymore. But I test most certainly on God's heart for it to happen in your life. It really is. And I'm going to show you. So we're going to go to the book of Acts, which is the obvious place to start because it's the story of the early church. 
And we're going to go to the day of Pentecost, which people describe as the birthday of the church. I'm going to give a bit of context first, because you've got to understand the mentality that the disciples are in on the day of Pentecost. We're talking approximately six weeks after the crucifixion of Jesus. That's what we're talking. Approximately six weeks after. They are afraid. They are timid. They are, they're not as confused as they were. They were very confused when Jesus died. Very confused. Very depressed. Very discouraged. Then Jesus began to make himself known through resurrection appearances. And they became encouraged. But they still didn't understand really what they were about and still felt no power to really make a difference. Even though they knew Jesus had said before he went to heaven, go and make disciples of all nations. We find them in Acts 2 sitting in a room. Why? Because they don't know how to. But it's perfectly right that they're in this position because Jesus says this to them just before he returns to heaven. Jesus is speaking to them and Jesus says, shortly before he ascends, he says this. I can find it. Luke 24. I'm sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. This is Jesus. He says, he's called them to be witnesses. He's commissioned them. Then he says, but stay, wait in the city until you are clothed with... Not until I've taught you some more theology. Not until you've worked through this book and understood certain things. He'd been with them three years teaching them certain things. They hadn't understood it. In the main. It's when the Spirit comes, that revelation comes, that suddenly these things they've been taught come to life. And there's a power in them. There's suddenly ability. You know, the Greek word is dunamis. We say, oh, so it's like dynamite. It's where we get our dynamite from, so it's explosive. No, that cannot be the case. There was no such thing as dynamite in the Bible times. So when they used the word dunamis, they weren't thinking of dynamite. Okay? We use the word dynamite, which was brought in a millennia later, and we call it that because power is explosive. Okay? But, so what does the Greek word dunamis mean? It means the ability to do. Jesus says, I want you to go and make disciples of all nations and preach the gospel to all creation, but wait in the city until you are clothed with the ability to do this from heaven. There is no ability to do it without the Holy Spirit. You cannot just psych yourself up to be a good witness. You cannot just try and get in the zone. It's not good enough. You need power, the ability to do it from on high. But the package that that comes in is very, very surprising and odd. And my contention is, is that if the same power is to come on us today, the packaging may well be surprising and odd. And if you are not ready for that, you could stumble and miss it. Watch what happens. Acts chapter 2. We'll go from the start of the chapter. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, waiting. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. Please stop there. It wasn't... (coughs) Alright? It wasn't tranquil. It wasn't tranquil. They're sitting in a room... And the words to describe it are mighty rushing. It's like some kind of tornado hits the room. It filled the entire house where they were sitting. What does that mean? How does the sound of a mighty wind fill a house? 
That's weird. How, in what sense can it, how can a wind sound fill a house? You've got some strange language going on here because something very supernatural is happening. And divided tongues, so of, sorry, divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. So there's this tornado sound filling the room and then you have tongues of fire resting on each of them. This is very unusual. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. They're speaking in languages they've never learned as a result of this wind in the room and the, and the fire on their head. Now, they were dwelling in Jerusalem, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together. Thousands of people came together because of the sound. It was that loud. All right? So people are in Jerusalem and it would be, it would be the equivalent to hearing a concord around the corner. That's what we're talking. You walk in the streets and you hear this incredibly violent, troubling sound that I guess they probably thought was a natural disaster. They probably thought an earthquake was happening, walls are falling down maybe, or they thought that, I don't know, some horrendous thing. They didn't have engines and such in those days, so we, that it wouldn't be, I might think it's a, we might think it's a plane crash or something. It's that kind of sound, and it brings the masses. And when they arrive... They were amazed and astonished because they were hearing them speak, everyone was hearing them speak their own language. So it appears they've tumbled out of the room. They were in a room. The room was filled, the thousands gather. It was the upper room, which I think, you know, filled, I don't know, I think it was, you know, about 100 or so people. Thousands gather, and now they hear them speaking. Why? They've tumbled out, they're out of the room now. How? I've got no idea. But the power of God is on them, and they've tumbled out, Okay? And then everyone says, how is this that we can hear him speak in our own language? But listen, this is very important, verse 12. All were amazed and perplexed. Now that word perplexed means, you're going to love this, guess what it means? Nonplussed. It means nonplussed. People were not impressed. They were amazed because it was weird, but they were not impressed. They were like, what is this? And others... Mocking said, they're drunk. They are filled with new wine. I've been around people that have said this. If God was to break in in real power, then everyone would get it in the room. Would they? Would they? I've been around people that have said, someone right there was meeting with God in a powerful way. I didn't feel a thing. It must just be mind over matter. Some people are more prone to this kind of thing. If, surely if it was God, I would have felt it too. Would you? I don't think, no, not necessarily. People gather, and some go, oh, I don't like that. Others go, these guys are out of their heads. What is it? It's the most profound thing that's ever happened in history. It's the, promise of, it's the promise of the Father, that the Holy Spirit is being given to all people now. And the result is people are nonplussed and mocking. Interesting, isn't it? Why did some people think they were drunk? If you came across someone in the street, or I don't know, who was just sitting there and they were just speaking in a different language to themselves in a kind of normal way, would you think this person's just had too many beers? No. What would you think? They're speaking in another language. Why do you think people thought they were drunk? I want to suggest to you that it wasn't necessarily a sober (laughs) event that they witnessed. I want to suggest it was pretty wild. And I think there's another clue in Ephesians 5.18 where Paul says, do not be drunk with wine, but instead be filled with the Spirit. 
There's an intoxication of the Holy Spirit. I want to tell you a story. You'll like this. A friend of mine, a guy called Julian, was recently out in a church, uh, Bill Johnson's church. Some of you may have heard of him. He's a big speaker in Bethel in California. This guy, Julian, is very open to the Holy, to the Holy Spirit. He's, he's very gifted prophetically. He, um, some of you will know him, Julian Adams. He's, a, he's very, very open, loves, you know, the wilder the better. He's there. There's this woman, an African woman, a very beautiful African woman, but she spends the entire time he's out there completely intoxicated in the Holy Spirit. I mean, completely intoxicated the entire time. As far as he's concerned, she's making a complete spectacle of herself. As the week goes on, Julian's thinking, someone just needs to sort this woman out. She's, she's just gone too far. And he's actually getting offended by it. Towards the end of the week, this woman stands up and gives her testimony. Here's a testimony. Months ago, God spoke to her and said this. If you let me fill you with my spirit, I will give you nations. If you let me fill you with my spirit, I will give you nations. She said, okay. Shortly after that, she's at an airport. And a man approaches her, an African man, gives her his card and says, Africa needs women like you. Please get in touch with me. She thought he was coming on to her. Right? But she took the card, went home, went on the internet, checked out his details. Turns out he's a diplomat, a well-respected diplomat. He flies her over to Africa in a private jet. She finds herself in a meeting where there are 20 African presidents. At the end result of that meeting, now she's a woman who's worked for the United Nations for a few years, but in very minor areas. At the end of that meeting, she is, she is entrusted by many, many of those nations with their budget for the HIV, AIDS situation and for the poor. The next thing she knows, she receives a phone call from Bono. She goes and meets with Bono. And he says to her, what she, what, what, he finds out what she's been entrusted with and says, how did you get this kind of credibility? She says to him, you're trying to do things politically correct, I'm doing them the way of the kingdom. He gives her his budget. Now we see a woman there who is acting in many ways irrationally. She appears to be drunk the whole time, literally drunk. She's walking around, she's acting bizarrely. She's saying, when I'm like this, God downloads into my spirit strategies and policies. It's offensive, it's unrespectable, it's weird, it's fruitful. Now, I am not promoting weirdness for the sake of it. There's no virtue in that. But what I'm saying is this, do not assume that you are so godly, so discerning and so soft-hearted that when God comes by his spirit, it will come in a package that will be just how you expect it to be. Because I think you'll be surprised. I'll give you another example. Just before Jesus went to the cross in the Gospel of John, a very remarkable thing happens. You can find it in John chapter 12. Verse 27, Jesus says this, Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I've come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd that stood there and heard it said it had thundered. Others said an angel had spoken to him. Who was the voice? God. Two people, one, one group of people thought it was what? Thunder. Another group of people thought it was what? An angel. So one group put it down to natural causes. Ah, it didn't would have happened anyway. It's one of those freak things. It was thunder, but it sounded, you know, you, you could have discerned some words in it, but you know, that group. The other group, they recognised it was supernatural, but they missed God. 
Oh, it wasn't some angelic thing. It was some, you know, it was just, well, you know, we've all, got, we've all got this potential in ourselves. We're spiritual people. We've all got this potential. It's probably just getting in touch with... No, it was God. God speaking from heaven, surely that will do it. No. No. What's the deal here? What's the deal here? The deal is your heart. The deal is the state of your heart. Are you willing for God to make you look a fool? Are you willing to shake, rattle and roll, if that's what it means? Some people shake when God touches them, fills them with his spirit. Looks weird. It's embarrassing. Yeah. Looks weird and it's embarrassing. You say, why do they shake? I don't know why they shake, but here's what I do know. When the power of God touches a mortal spirit, which is inside a body, there may well be some kind of impact on the body. That's not what it's about. It's about what God's doing inside. But we are, we are whole beings, aren't we? And so your body may be impacted in some way. Some people groan when they get filled with the Holy Spirit. It's, it's ridiculous, it's absurd. Groaning. Romans 8. Romans 8 talks to us about groaning. Here we go. Verse 26. The Spirit helps us in our weakness. We don't know what to pray for as we all. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. There's, there's a place that when, you, when God touches you in that deepest place where, and your longing is for him, where sometimes it's deeper. It's not, just, it's not forced. It's, not, oh, it's almost involuntary. But there's a, oh God, it's a crying out from the depths of your being. It's something words can't articulate. It's biblical. It's biblical. People don't like it. Looks weird. I want to just challenge you. Have you got just a, have you just got a cerebral Christianity? Because if you if you don't like stuff that's a little bit hard to explain and a bit unusual, odds are you'll end up quenching the Holy Spirit. You'll end up quenching because you'll think, I don't like that. I don't want to do that. So now that, whatever it might be, isn't the big deal to God. But basically, if you're saying, God, I want more of you, but on my conditions, it doesn't work, does it? It doesn't work. And so what must we do? How can we get over the situation that we're in? Well, first, we need to be convinced that, you, that part of Christianity is experiencing God. And I'll, I'll just take you through some examples. Just pull them out. Let's just pull them out of the Bible. Moses. There's a man who did mighty things for God. What did it start with? An encounter. Burning bush. An encounter that changed the rest of his life. A very uncomfortable encounter. We've got sticks turning to snakes. We've got feet off. We've got all kinds of things. We've got, we've got rebukes, voices coming. I mean, it's not comfortable. And imagine what he felt like when he told Aaron what happened, this happened. And, you know, you think, you're just, everyone's going to think I'm stupid. It started with an encounter. You've got Jacob. Jacob was a conniver, a deceiver. God changes his name to Israel. But what, in what moment when he has to wrestle through the night with an angel? He wrestles through the night. This isn't allegory. This isn't always got a spiritual meaning. It's narrative. It happened. The Lord came and wrestled with him, the angel of the Lord, through the night. And took his hip out and he walked with a limp for the rest of his life. This was real. It was physical. But it was spiritual. An encounter with God. Abraham. Deep sleep comes on him. Deep darkness falls. And there's this bizarre kind of thing where he's having to cut his animals up and his burning oven comes and passes. It's weird. It's weird. You try and tell someone, oh, I met God last night, like, what happened? Well, this weird darkness came down, cut some animals up and this burning oven walked through them. What are you saying? You've lost the plot. But you see, we're, we're so respectable. And we value our credibility and our status and our perception in others' eyes so highly. We often miss God, I think, to be honest. We miss the raw power that God wants to bring into our lives. 
We miss that. The raw power. You need power if you're going to live the Christian life. And it has to be power from on high. You do not have it in you to simply overcome sin. You do not have it in you to be an effective witness. You do not have it in you to operate in the gifts of the Spirit, to pray for the sick and see them healed. You do not have it in you to cast out demons by your own power. You need power and authority from above. And that comes in all kinds of packaging. Are you up for it? <laughs> Look at Jesus. Gets baptised. Then he gets baptised in the Spirit. The dove comes on him. Physically, a dove comes on him, representing the Spirit of God. And a voice comes from heaven. It's unusual. It's like, imagine if I got up today with a bird on my shoulder. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> Just imagine. So, some things have been going on, guys, and I don't get it, but... <laughs> How many of you would be here by the end of the sermon? Or you go, he's lost it. He's lost it. But we, so, we, we sanitise the Scripture. We sanitise. Oh, yeah, but it was the Bible. It was real. It was history. You say, oh, Dad Pentecost, that was amazing. No, most of the people that saw it were nonplussed and others mocked. It looked a bit, it looked ridiculous. You find it through the scriptures. You, you, you find it keeps happening. The visions that, that Daniel saw. Daniel saw a vision. He said, I want to see a vision. He was, for days afterwards, completely pale, lying in bed with fear. You want visions? He got let in on the spirit realm. What goes on in the spirit realm when there's huge kind of um, tumult on the nations? You saw what was going on behind it in the spirit with the demonic powers and it just drained him of all strength. He was just lying in bed, frozen with fear. God is not to be sanitised, tamed, brought down to our way of doing things. And, you know, I just feel, guys... I want to speak about the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Do you know you've been baptised in the Holy Spirit? Some people think it's the same thing as being baptised in water. No, it isn't. Although it can happen concurrently with being baptised in water. To be baptised in water means you've been immersed in water. To be baptised in the Holy Spirit means you've been immersed in the Holy Spirit. And so many Christians go through their life never having been immersed in the Holy Spirit and they wonder, where's the power? It's in the Holy Spirit. You need to be baptised in the Holy Spirit. Have you been baptised in the Holy Spirit? Have you been clothed with power from on high? Have you? You might say, well, I was 12 12 years ago, something happened, and is that the same? Listen, can it happen more than once? Here's a question. Can the baptism in the Spirit happen more than once? Hands up for yes. (laughs) Hands up for no. Okay. (laughs) I would say yes and no. I would say... I would say no from this point of view that a baptism is an initiation. Okay? That's what it is. It initiates you into something. If you can be baptised in the Spirit loads of times, why not get baptised in water loads of times? Okay? It's an initiation. It's what you do. But, I would say this. There are to be ongoing infillings with the Holy Spirit that are as powerful, if not more, than your baptism. And here's why, I make, here's why I'm making the point. I think for some people, that they think, well, there's the baptism of the Spirit, and then there's these kind of moments of filling, which are nice. Acts 4. We're talking a, a few days or a few weeks after these guys have been initially baptised in the Holy Spirit. They are preaching the gospel when they're getting in trouble. And they're threatened that they are, they're threatened that they are to stop doing this. They must stop preaching, in, in, the, the, preaching Christ, because it's causing too much trouble. And so what do they do? They go and they, and they gather and they pray. And they don't pray 
God, you know, keep us from danger. Don't pray, God, find, help us to escape from Jerusalem. They pray this. Verse 29 of chapter 4. Lord, look upon their threats. Grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness, while you stretch out your hand to heal, and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. So we have wind and fire in the house. Now we've got the actual building is shaking. This is powerful. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. That is what I call a powerful infilling. Amen? Amen. <laughs> and we want to see things change. We want to see lives change, don't we? We want to see stuff happen. I tell you what, we need the Holy Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit. We need the power of God. We need the presence of God. I, I don't, you know... If I shake or I don't, it's completely by the by, I must bear fruit. Because I've been chosen by the Lord and appointed to bear fruit as you have. And you cannot bear spiritual fruit without the power of the Holy Spirit. Please, I plead with you and urge you to leave behind dead religion. If that's what you're getting into. Or simply a cerebral understanding of the Lord. Don't you want him to hit you in the spirit? (laughs) Where, Where you begin to feel his heart and you begin to just be overpowered by his goodness. Genuinely, I want to be overpowered by God. I want to be intoxicated with God. Religion can't do that. The Holy Spirit can do that. He can produce that in our lives. And that's my longing. And I feel that's God's longing. Otherwise, why did Jesus say, wait, you need to be clothed with power. You need to be clothed with power. You need to be open to experiencing God. What things hold people back, by way of conclusion? Fear. A lot of people I know, they're actually afraid of encountering God. Now why? Because they don't know what he's going to do. What, 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 what will happen? I don't know what he's going to do, but I know he's good. That's the point, isn't it? Surely that's the point. So if I say to my children, we're going to go on a holiday, and they say, well, and I say, it's a secret, it's a surprise. Right? If they know I'm good they'll be excited. If they know I'm bad, they'll be scared. And they say, no, no, no I can't, I've got homework to do. <laughs> or something equally ridiculous, you know, because they're scared. Listen, I don't, know, I don't know what God's plan for you, I don't know what God wants to do with you, but I know this, he's good, and he loves you, and he would never do anything that would harm you. Sometimes he does things that hurt, yeah, absolutely, but never things that harm. So he's not sanitised. And he's not tame in that sense. He comes and he comes as God. You can't just dictate to him. But I tell you what, he comes to bring life. Sometimes it means some things have to die. It's the same as the gospel, isn't it? Jesus had to die on the cross in order for our sins to be forgiven and for us to experience eternal life. Yeah? Sometimes there's things that have to die in order for us to experience the power of God in our lives. We're going to do a little bit of Q&A on the baptism of the Holy Spirit and experiencing God, then we're going to pray for people that want to be prayed for. Ollie. Sure. I think it's pretty straightforward. Some people say that the baptism of the Holy Spirit is an event, but it's not necessarily an experience. Okay? These tend to be people that don't like experience. They get freaked out by it. If you read through the book of Acts, every time someone gets baptised in the Spirit, it's an experience. 
They either prophesy or speak in tongues. There's a manifestation of gifts of the Spirit. And it's, it's blatant when people have. If you go to Acts 8, you find that the Samaritans became Christians, were baptised, but hadn't received the Spirit. So Peter and John go down and lay hands on them. And Simon, who's a sorcerer and magician, it says when he saw that the, that the, that the um, gift of the Spirit was received through the land on of hands of the apostles, he offered the apostles money because he wanted to be able to do that himself. Now the point that I'm making is not so much about Simon, but he saw something. Yeah? When Paul meets some disciples in, the, in Acts 19 on, on the road to Ephesus, he says, he says, did you receive the Spirit when you believed? He's expecting them to know one way or the other. Yeah? He's expecting them to have an understanding whether they received the Spirit or not. You should know. What? Galatians 3, verse 1 to 5. The Apostle Paul says this to the Galatians. Tell me, on what grounds does God give you the Spirit? God who gives you the Spirit and works miracles among you is it on the grounds of you obeying the law or on the grounds of you believing in Christ. He is he's referring to an experience of the Spirit they've had. And so I think there is an experience of being immersed in God and being empowered to witness. That's what it's about, isn't it? And we're going to speak on that on week three. It's powerful witness. But also the, there's a release of the spiritual gifts. Whether it's a gift of tongues, a gift of prophecy or other gifts. Doesn't, I think people have overemphasized the gift in tongues thing. We can talk about that in a minute if you want to, because that seems to be a, that gift causes a lot of problems. But um, it's spiritual gift. So I think I think if you read through Acts, that's a fairly um, I think it's I think it's pretty straightforward. People tend to complicate things because they don't like stuff. A lot of our theology comes out of our prejudice. Yeah, don't like the idea of that. So let's create some verses around it, <laughs> and I can feel like I'm being biblical about it. But I think you've got to just take the narrative at face value. Said. Um, sure, sure, sure. I think that, I mean, the, the, Paul makes it clear in Romans 8, anyone who doesn't have the Spirit doesn't belong to Christ. So in order to belong to Christ, yeah, you need the Spirit. And yet Paul's happy to say to people, did you receive the Spirit when you believed? So there is, there is a receiving of the Spirit, which is power, which is equipping, which is um, immersion, that is, that is separate from conversion, though it can happen at the same time as conversion. Okay? But it's a separate thing, I think, biblically. And um, can you use the gifts of the Spirit? Um, God can do anything. Do you know what I mean? God can do anything. It could be, but I, I, think, I think what you see in the, in, in the Bible is that, um, is that part of the reason for the baptism of the Spirit is so that you can really walk in the gifts that God's got for you. So, yeah. I mean, Natalie. What's the difference? Uh, you might tell me about What's the difference between soul and spirit? No idea. What's the difference between soul and spirit? No idea. Massive theological debate. Are we bipartite, tripartite? Are we, are we just, um, is the soul and the spirit the same thing? Are they different things? I have whole books written that disagree. <laughs> um, because, because different scriptures seem to emphasize and lean towards different things. So I think if you get really into that, one or the other, you tend to do so at the expense of scripture. I think it's a little bit more ambiguous um, than, we like to, than we like to think it is. And I don't think it particularly makes a difference what you believe. I'm sure it would be helpful. No, I don't know. Would, would it be helpful to look at um, what the cessationists, um, the, the, their classic verse that they use sure. about... Um, 
about the Holy Spirit. Would that be a helpful thing? That's a very helpful thing. It's great to have a wise, a wise woman in the front row. Okay. Why do the cessationists say there's no more gifts of the Spirit these days? They go to 1 Corinthians 13, which is a famous chapter on love, and they go to verse 8, and they say this. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. This passage is blatantly speaking about the return of Christ. They say, no, 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 no. It's speaking about when we, when we get the, the, um, the canon of Scripture, when the canon of Scripture is completed. This is written, um, the New Testament was written basically between approximately AD 60-ish and AD 90-ish. Um, the canon of Scripture, uh, Dan. Okay, so the, Bi- <laughs> the, the, the canon of Scripture, what is and what isn't the Bible, was finally agreed in AD 367. Okay, now the cessationists point back to that point and say that is when the perfect comes because we've got a completed canon. Okay? Now, we have got a completed canon. You do not add to the Bible, absolutely. I agree with all of that. But this here is not talking about that. Give you a number of reasons why. Okay? As the prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. Do the cessationist churches have preaching and teaching? I thought they had gone. I thought they had passed away with the Bible. Um, we know in part, we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, which can mean mature, so they're saying, perfect, the same word for mature, they're saying, but when we become mature, and they equate having a completed Bible with maturity, well, all you need to do is look around at the church in the world today to realise that we're not mature. We need a lot of help. Okay? Um, The partial will pass away, and then for now we see in a mirror dimly, then face to face. Do we see Jesus face to face? No. When will we see Jesus face to face? When he returns. This passage is about the return of Christ. This is the only passage they use as cessationists. Why? Because there aren't any others. Okay? And it basically boils down to an anti-supernaturalism. I do not like the inexplicable. I do not like the supernatural. It, it scares them. And so, you know, let's not do it. And I hope I'm not speaking unkindly. Um, there are people in cessationist churches that are amazing, godly, Jesus-loving people. Some of the churches are absolutely outstanding, so please, you know, don't hear this coming from a kind of a, I'm not cutting down the body of Christ, but I think you have to be, you have to be ruthless with the theology and exercise a, a violence in it because it is harmful and it will keep you from the fullness of what God wants for you. Then. Yep. Yes. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think it's a good point. So the point is that Paul makes 1 Corinthians 14, if you're barren away in tongues and an outsider comes in, they think, you lot are crazy. So how, firstly, how do we deal with that? Here's how we deal with that. We say that there's two, the gift of tongues is for two purposes. Number one, privately. You use it in private prayer with the Lord. And number two, if you're going to bring a tongue in public, like in church, you bring a tongue and then you or someone else with the gift of interpretation will interpret it so it all makes sense and it's all done in order. Dan's saying, but how does that work if you're shaking, rattling and rolling all around the place and, um, you know, one people think you're mad then? I guess, I guess, yeah, I mean, I, I, I guess to be perfectly honest, I wasn't really ready for that question. So I'm thinking on my feet at this point. I guess my initial response would be to say this, would be to say that to speak in tongues is something that you do voluntarily. 
to shake, rattle and roll, if you're doing that by choice, what are you doing? Do you know what I mean? If God in his wisdom, you know, I mean, I don't think it's wrong when someone shakes, God's doing that. I think, again, that's, that's unhelpful. God isn't shaking you. God is touching you. But because you're physical and frail, they, do you know what I mean? It's a response to the touch of God. It's not the touch of God. He's shaking me. It's a response to the touch of God. Um, which I think can be hemmed in. Don't you don't want to make a spectacle of yourself and all of that, all that stuff. You don't want to do that. But what do you want? There's one verse in the Bible about that. There's a lot more verses in the Bible about um, God's foolishness, kind of uh, God's, God, the world and its wisdom not coming to know God, so God being happy to use a foolish message, God happily undermining the, the, the cleverness and the kind of the arrogance of man. And so on that front, I feel like the weight of Scripture is more lean towards saying at the end of the day, we must cover God's presence and whatever cost that involves, we say, okay, fine. So someone walked out because they thought we were mad. I can live with that. But I'm not going to do anything voluntarily that is going to just make us look like we're crazy. That would be my best way of responding. John. Yep. Yep. Falling fallen on the floor, falling backwards. Yeah. Here's the problem with, with, with that, is that most people that have, that have I've experienced that through spectators, of, through, through, through watching and seeing it, very often it can happen in an atmosphere that is commonly perceived to be um, manipulative, pressurising, and there are most definitely people around that will come and pray for you and they'll push you over. Absolutely, I've had it. I've deliberately put my legs there and I'm not, I'm not going. Because <laughs> it's wrong. It's wrong, it's false, it's manipulative, there's nothing of God about it. Okay? That doesn't mean, however, that you cannot be knocked down by the power of God. So what you've got to do, you've got to, you've got to, you've got to be able to separate what is sometimes associated with, which is often bad doctrine, preaching for 50 minutes about money and 5 minutes about Jesus, you know, all that sort of stuff. Um, often showiness. And often an environment of, sometimes it's kind of, it's hysteria and you're not even sure if it's the Lord. It's just, it's more just like, it just seems more like everyone's whipping one another up. Do you know what I mean? And, and it kind of, oh, I fell over on our spiritual. You totally want to remove all of that. But you want to say, look, I want God. And if it means the power of God, you know, that, there's, that I, I, I get knocked to the floor, well, okay, I'll get knocked to the floor. I want God. Do you see what I mean? So it's just about, it's not about... These things, they're, they're, they're by the by. And I think you don't want to make a big thing of them positively. You don't want to make a big thing of them negatively. You make a big thing about Jesus. Yeah? That's what we're about. That's, that's definitely where we're coming from. Any other questions? Two more. Hegarty and then Dave. Heggers. People don't like speaking tongues. They don't understand it. Okay. Satan's a counterfeiter, which means everything that God does, Satan does. So through spiritualist churches, etc., he'll produce counterfeit healings. Um, people can speak in tongues demonically. You'll spot it a mile off it and make your blood curl. Um, when Paul writes to the Corinthians, who were famous for their tongue speaking, that's all they ever did. I mean, they loved it. Which is very interesting. So he's writing to this church that have gone crazy on speaking in tongues. Here's what he doesn't say. Stop it. Yeah? This is silly. Calm down. Not once. What he says is this. I speak in tongues more than all of you. 
Yeah, you find it in there. It's in the text. And then he says this. Use the gift in an orderly way. Use it privately. You utter mysteries in your heart to God. You don't know how to pray as you ought. The Holy Spirit helps you. Gift of tongues is fantastic. How many situations do you come across? Do you think, I want to pray about that, but I don't know what to pray. I don't know what to say. Wow, that's what the gift of tongues is for. Because you know you're praying according to the will of God. Spirit to spirit. That is beautiful. And then he says, if you're going to use the gift of tongues in public, make sure there's an interpretation. So all he says, he doesn't put any cold water. The hose doesn't even come out. He just says, do it orderly. So there's nothing in the Bible that speaks negatively of speaking in tongues, except do not all just babble together in public meetings because people will just think you're crazy and it could stop them hearing the gospel. Dave. Yeah, um, I've once heard like, a preacher say, similar to what you said earlier, like that to be, you know, being baptised in the Spirit would be a time that you can really remember. Yeah. Um, but growing up in like a Christian family, yeah. given what I've seen at a young yeah. age, yeah. I sat and heard that and thought, well, I can't remember anything that happened before the age of 12. <laughs> anything. Um, does that mean I haven't been baptised in the Spirit? Or could it, was it, if it was such a big event in my life, sure. if it happened at six or seven, should I sure. know about it? I think, you know, a big event to someone is a, big, is, is a small event to someone else. I think there are degrees, you know, I wouldn't want to get too caught up on it. I think, I think you want to say this. The most important question is this. Even if I have been, and it's a great memorable, memorable event, or if I haven't been, and I need to be, either way, I need to be filled with the Spirit again. Yeah? Constantly. Just drinking in the presence of God. Yeah? And being empowered. The issue, the issue isn't so much what's your CV of spiritual experiences. The issue is, the issue is, am I being enabled by God to live the life and bear fruit? That's what it's about, isn't it? It's about bearing fruit. It's about living the life. It's about power. To, do, to live this life. It's a supernatural life. You can't just do it by willpower. It's got to be power from on high. I think they're the issues. And I wouldn't get sidetracked on even that. I would just say, well, look, whether you have or whether you haven't, what does the Bible say? Go on being filled with the Spirit. Yeah? I've found there's a lot of complicated, over-analytical stuff goes on in Christians' heads. <laughs> the law wants to bring freedom from that. Not that you become undiscerning, unintelligent, stupid, none of those things, but it's a cycle of analysis that never gets anywhere. Look, what does Jesus say? Become like a child and believe. (laughs) It's really very, very simple. Here's another thing I see Christians do, but what if the devil comes and touches me instead? That's not how it works. That's not how it works. If you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more does your Father in Heaven know how to give the Holy Spirit to you? Come on. God's not going to stand by and say, oh, devil got him first. <laughs> Come on. That's silly. How do, you get, how do you open yourself up to the demonic? Sin. You sin, don't you? And you willfully sin. And you do the stuff that God said you shouldn't do. No sincere believer asking to be filled with the Holy Spirit is going to get filled with an evil spirit. It's just, it's just a totally coming from a completely random worldview. A dualistic worldview where God and the devil are fighting and no one knows who's going to win. No, God is sovereign. Satan can do nothing without permission. We know this stuff, don't we? You open your heart to the Lord, it's the Lord who's going to fill you. Yeah? Yeah. Well, well, here we are. It's one thing to talk about it, isn't it? (laughs) Now the fun can begin. You may be here, you're not even a believer. You're thinking, I can't wait till this meeting finishes. It's a nightmare. If that's you... Let me just say, we would want you to feel under no coercion or pressure to be here. 
Absolutely not. We would want you to know this, that the Lord Jesus loves you. And he wants to give you a new life. He doesn't want to give you religion. He wants to give you a new life. And the reason why he can give you a new life and forgive your sins is because he died on the cross for you and paid the price, took the punishment you deserve for your sin. That's massive. He rose from the dead and he beat death, which means he can give you eternal life. If you want to put your trust in this Jesus, he, he said, Jesus himself said, I will turn away no one who comes to me. Okay? He will love you, he will receive you. So let me just say that. But feel free to just be around, if you're happy to be around, while we pray for one another to be filled with the Holy Spirit. That's what we're going to do. We're going to just minister to one another and just pray for one another. And if you're hungry for the Lord and you just feel, yeah, I would love God to touch me. I would love a fresh sense either of just, sometimes it's crash, bang, wallop. Sometimes it's the peace of God that just goes beyond understanding. That you're, oh man, alive. You know, it's like Jesus waking up in the boat and saying, be still to the storm. That's being filled with the Holy Spirit. Sometimes it's the joy of the Lord and just a refreshing thing. It's what God, your Father, knows what you need. Yeah? He knows what you need. So I'm going to just lead us in a time of receiving uh, from the Lord now. So um, what time is it? It's 25 past 12. So, um, yeah, parents, if, if parents, particularly if you need to be prayed for first, you need to get your kids, we, we will pray for you first. But let's just be before God. Let's stand, shall we? Um,